I want to <clears throat> I want to invite us to Matthew chapter 22 and I want to read together with you verses 1 to 14 uh, which is our scripture reading uh, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying so he's speaking in parables right and then he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son <clears throat> we get a big jump there <laughs> Okay, let me, Matthew, Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, and I'm going to read it um, from the NSAD 95 version. It says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slave to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. Verse 6 says, And they rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged. And he has sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man that was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in the place there were, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I wanted to read all this together with you because it is important to me that you understand the background of what we're going to be talking about. Now, in the, in the Bible, we find that tables, tables are, you know, basically for Christians, tables are a metaphor uh, it's a, a theology rich and central to everyday life. Tables are where enemy becomes friend. Tables are where dividing walls and hostility are torn down. Tables are where generosity is extended toward those who are otherwise excluded. Christian, behold God's generosity at the Lord's table and end the generosity towards outsiders with their own tables. Um, this is something that Christian believe. Thank you. Now, we need to understand, in the Bible, there's not really a word for table. It's kind of weird. There is, but there isn't. In the, in the New Testament, the word reclining, in the Greek, the word reclining indicates a table. In the Old Testament, the word sit, there's several words for table in the Old Testament. The word for sit refers to a table. Now, out of, out of all, the ta all the words in the Old Testament, there's one word that is called that is, that is pronounced panim. 
And panim means face. And it's translated as face, presence, or surface. Well, what you need to understand is that in the Bible, sometimes that the skin of a goat would become the place in the ground. That surface on the ground was the place where the food was placed and the table happened. For those who were wealthier, they had like wooden tables. For kings, the tables were bigger and had a lot of food. But one thing for sure that happened in every single table was two things. It was consistent. One was the presence of the host. And two was the face of the host. And that word for face has a lot of meaning because coming into the presence of God is coming into his face. And when we're in the face of God, we are in a place where we are well protected. We are well protected. And what, um, by the way, I just want to let you know, we've been twinkle, twinkling with the, with, the, with the sound system. They're trying to get it as best. We're in that process. And this is the worst part of it. So bear with me. Um, so something interesting happens here. Something that the Bible is wanting to see us is that when we come at the table, we come into God's presence and we come into his face. And something very important happens there. And what happens there is intimacy. There's intimacy that happens right there at the table because when you come, you are welcome. You are blessed with intimacy. But also at the table, that same intimacy, it welcomes you, but it also can cast you out. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, today in our world, in the Western world, there's two types of tables, right? There's the one table, which is the kitchen table. At the kitchen table is where family really gathers. Friends really come at the kitchen table. They talk, they chat, they eat. And it's where sometimes we open our hearts and we talk and we say things that are intimate. We share problems. We share aspirations. We talk at the table, at the kitchen table. It's an intimate setting. But then there's the dining room table. And the dining room table is for those who we welcome at the table but not to our kitchen talk table. They're close, they're welcome, maybe they're a stranger, but welcome to the dining table. We put our best face, the dining table looks great, the pictures, the art, the place, the, the setup, it looks amazing. But the kitchen table is very improvised. The kitchen table is, there's a piece of bread right there, cut it man, if you want something, there's some cheese there too. And you have to take your care, care of yourself at the table. Why? Because at the kitchen table is where trusted people are. And I don't have to wait for the host to give me things. I can do it because the host loves me, trusts me, and has provided the meal so I can take as much as I please. Are you with me? And so we find something similar to this dynamic happening in Matthew 22. And I want to go to that first part right there because... Um, the first verses kind of talk about the forgotten table. And, and we have talked about different tables. Today, we're talking about the forgotten table. And in, in, in chapter 22, verse 1, it reads, And Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, Verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. I want to stop right there. In Matthew, he speaks about a king. 
And he puts it in this setting, who gave a wedding feast to his son. Now Luke has the same story in Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, it reads, verse 15, it reads the following way. It says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Notice the difference in language from Matthew to Luke. There's a very, there's a difference in language. So we have here, we have here a very special table. In both places, we have a very special table. And the table that we're talking about is God's table. It's God's own table. This is God's table. But you need to understand that Matthew is speaking to a different audience than Luke. Luke is speaking to Gentiles. And that's why we have these, this wording. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave... No, this is Matthew. So here Matthew is speaking to the Jewish community. Luke is speaking to the Gentiles. So when... Luke speaks to the Gentiles, he uses a different language. And the reason I chose Matthew is because Matthew includes some details that Luke didn't include. Matthew is here speaking to the people of God, to the people who have chosen to give and follow God. And so he's going to speak with a different tone. It's, this is very important to us because when we speak to our family, we speak to our family in a certain way different than when we speak to people that we don't know. When we invite strangers, like one day I invited, I invited these, the neighbors to my house and they ate at my dining table. And we talked about things. And we didn't get into struggling themes. We didn't get into intimate themes. We didn't get into, we just spoke about the house, the neighbors. We spoke about foods. He brought this forest food, that forest cake food that I'd never tasted before that is made basically 90% out of butter. And it just crumbles in your mouth and it tastes incredibly good, but it's incredibly unhealthy for you. Um, and so those are the conversations that you have. But when you bring family, you bring closest friends, people that you're intimate with, the conversation goes a little bit different. You, ha you talk and you challenge. You hold accountable. It's a different conversation. And so this is what God is doing right here. God, Matthew here is speaking to his own people, and he's saying, okay, this is, this is the language that I'm going to use with you guys. It's going to be a little bit different. And notice the type of language that he utilizes, because he's talking to people, and for some reason, and here we're going to find that in the first verses, it identifies a king. The king is God. The son is Jesus. The servants are going to be the people, the prophets, the disciples. And notice what happens with those prophets and disciples. Matthew chapter 5 verse 12 gives us a hint of what happened to the prophets. And it reads right there, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. He says, For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So notice, there's two ways of understanding what Matthew is trying to say here. He's saying Matthew is trying to say, Hey, I want, I want to, I'm going to bring a parable and to my people, and Jesus is sharing. The king is God, Jesus is the son, and the servants are the prophets in the past, but also in the future. I want to point to the future as well. It's in the past because for some reason, God's people, God's chosen people, killed the prophets, killed the messengers. Look at Isaiah, look at Jeremiah, look at Ezekiel. 
And because of the way that they behaved, because of the way that they did, they went into exile. And so, so many people died trying to bring Israel back to God, but nobody would listen. But here, it also, it's pointing to the future. Because from our point of vantage, we know that the disciples suffered at the hands of the people of God as well. We know that Jesus suffered at the hands of the people of God as well. John chapter 1 verse 11 says this very clearly. He came to his own, and those who were, uh, were his own did not receive him. You see what's happening here? The people of God are the same people who are rejecting, who are pushing away. The people of God are the ones who are not receiving. And in the parable, it tells us that he went, he's going out, he's sending his, his servants out so they can invite the invitees, invite all these people, the people that are invited, the people of God, the ones who are, have been chosen to be his people. But they are not receiving his invitation. Notice what it says there. Um, I want to want to want to go to Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse three to verse <clears throat> to verse seven, right there. It says, "And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited, and those wedding feasts, and they were unwilling to come." And verse four says to us again, he sent other slaves, saying, "Tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner." And then it says, "But they paid no attention and went their way." One to his own farm, another to his business. Luke tells us the excuses that each one gave us. In verse 6 it says, And the rest seized the slaves and mistreated them and killed them. There we have the prophets. There we have the disciples. And then verse 7 says, But the king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and sent their cities on fire. Set their cities on fire. And this did happen. It did happen. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. The people of God were dispersed. Why? What is it? Why is it that the people of God, the people that God has chosen, are the worst and do worse than the Gentiles? Why is that? In Psalm 78, verse 19, we get an idea. In Psalm 78, verse 19, we have a, a whole chapter, and I really encourage you to read the chapter. We have a chapter of remembering the story of Israel. And Asaph is trying to tell his people, you need to tell your children these words. You need to tell the, your children these stories so they will not forget. Let them not forget how God has worked with us, how God has walked with us, in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of all the things that were happening. And he starts sharing the story right there. And within that story, he shares about the manna and how the people of God eat from the manna, how the manna is, is such an incredible bread that it blesses it in every way. They need nothing else. But they asked for meat, and they got meat, and they ate to their heart content, and some of them died because they ate so much meat. But then it comes to this verse. It says, then they spoke against God. And it says, they said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? They forgot. They forgot the table of God. They forgot what was on the table of God. 
You need to understand that the people of God, they, they, God brought them out of Egypt with a strong, mighty arm. And the way that they brought them out was through the blood of the Lamb. They were to put that blood on those doors so they could be free. But guess what? What they would do, that lamb was going to be their dinner. And they were to eat that lamb. The sacrifice, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is what that was pointing to. Jesus' own sacrifice at the cross. But they forgot what was given at the table. They forgot it spiritually. They forgot it psychologically. They forgot it mentally. They forgot it socially. They forgot it physically. To the point where they were asking for meat. We're tired of the manna. It's not good enough. They forgot the table of God. But if you want to know what was being served at the table, the implications of what was being served at the table, notice verse 42. In verse 42, they say they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the oppressor or from the adversary. They forgot that in the table of the Lord, not only redemption was happening, not only freedom was happening, protection is happening, wholesomeness is happening. God is making you anew, whole. You are in the presence of God. You are enjoying the beauty of God. You're enjoying the eternity of God. And you're not just enjoying it as somebody who goes to New York and watches the towers and looks at things and just participates just by looking. No, you are enjoying it by being part of the experience, being part of that eternity, being part of that healthiness, being part of God's nature. Do you get what I'm trying to say? God is inviting you at the table so you can be blessed fully and richly. You don't have to have, when you are in God, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God has your back today. And when tomorrow comes, he will have your back again. They forgot the table. And because they forgot the table, the table became numb to them it became a routine so they decided to not accept the invitation of the king and by not accepting the invitation of the king let, let, let me tell you if god if a king invites you to eat dinner with him you let go of everything and it's the king they dishonor the king you see what's going on here and, I mean, I, and, and we, have to, we have to bring this home here. There's something called normative Christians, or as Greg Groschel, Groschel shares it, he says, he says, Christian atheists. And so what, what, nominant, or what nominant Christians are, basically, they, they don't like to get involved that much. They don't like to lean in deep. They don't like to get into the messiness of intimacy. But they like to enjoy all the benefits of the relationship. It's kind of like premarital sex. It's, yeah, I, I don't want to commit. I like you. We can hang out. We can do things. But I'm not going to commit. I can enjoy you. You can enjoy me all you want. But I'm not going to commit. That's, that's nominative Christians. And, and what happens with, with the NC, I'm going to call it NC, nominative Christians, right? The, what happens with the NC is that 
when, when, when you have a, a group of people who are, who are living and being this way, then church becomes a place where they just consume. Church is the place, it doesn't become missional. It's not missional any longer. We just come there so we can get ourselves fed. We come there so we can, we can get benefit from. It benefits our children, benefits our family, and so on, etc. And so we, be, we become consumerists. And when we become consumerists, we start demanding that things happen the way we like them. We're not looking at the mission. We're not looking at God's heart. We're not looking at the reason why God has called us into this life. And I've shared with you before that when God calls you, we just witnessed today somebody being born an urban missionary. He calls you into mission, not to sit but to go into mission. Oh, I'm not prepared. Go into mission. Oh, I don't know the Bible. Go into mission. Oh, I don't know how to testify. Go into mission. It, it, the, thing, the thing that you need to understand about the servants of this parable is that the servants, they're, they're faithful. They're not successful. But they're faithful. And God is calling us to be faithful even if we're not successful. The success depends on Him. It's His problem. It's his spirit working in the life of people. But you and I have been called to be faithful. And so the only way we can crack down the, the NC spirit is that we live in mission. But when, we, when, we, when we're nominative Christians, things become more important than people. Pews become more in people than people. I've had no many, so many people tell me, Pastor Peter, people bring cups into the church. I'm like, yeah, they do. It's okay. It's okay. Well, they splashed this. It's fine. It's okay. I'd rather a church that's been used very well than a church that's very shiny and empty. So, uh, nominative Christians are about the stuff they're about the behaviors, the rules. And what you need to understand is that if you're not at the table, if you're not in the presence of God, if you're not at that surface where his presence and his face is at, you're, and you're not in that intimacy, you're not in that grace. And when you forget grace, forget about holiness. Because grace is what allows holiness to take place in our lives. And so no matter what behavior you have, you can have the best behavior, you can know all the prophecies, you can have the best diet with carrots, you can have everything. You're never going to touch holiness if grace is not present. Are you with me, church? And so we, have find, we find here in this parable, this invitation is, don't forget the table of the Lord. There, there's power in that table. That's the place where he has rescued you from your oppressor. You can't forget it. And some of us, we enjoy the tables. Uh, I, was, I was talking to someone this past week, this actually this past week, tells me a story that they're trying to reach people who have left the Adventist church and they're trying to bring them back. And so they've created this whole space and this whole service for it. And they had to utilize another church in order to do that. And so they did their first night and like 90 people came and it was really, really being great. And suddenly that church, the, 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 there was one person that represented that church that came in and he, and he held a, 
an office of the church and he comes in and they say hello to him and he kind of looks at him kind of weird he's just looking for what these people are doing at my church and he was looking if they were doing good things in that church and finally when they saw what was happening he thought he saw what's happening in the church he asked for the board to get together and they asked those people to not come back that's that's nc spirit at its best when we think the church is only for people who are perfect. And when the church has to go the way I want it. Can you hear me, church? When those things become important to us here at Canyon Creek Project, it's, it's time to disband the church. If, if, if the pulpit and the pews and the things of this church start becoming important to you to the point where people who are thirsting for God cannot come into here, then it's not worth being a church. We missed it. We missed God's heart. And so he's coming in here and he's saying, hey, I need you to come in. I need you to walk in here. But, but, what, but what's even more, the second part of this, and I, and I kind of, sh- I, guys, st- don't play music yet. <laughs> you guys are coming up. <laughs> it's my fault. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's a part of this that, that, that we need to understand here. And that is the second part. Because how do we break that type of spirit? How do we break it in our hearts? Because even us, we ourselves, we sometimes keep all the goodies of God to ourselves and we don't share with nobody else. You know, sometimes it's awkward to share Jesus. Sometimes it is awkward, I can tell you. One time I was, we, were, we were visiting a house for teenagers and we were bringing all this food and <clears throat> I, I, I was... I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to connect really well with the kids and so on, etc. At some point, something happened, and I couldn't connect. So I went to when, when my church group, and we were doing the stuff there at, with the kids and teenagers, and I saw this girl, and I looked at her, and she had a belly, and I assumed that she was pregnant. And so I walked right beside her, and I said, Hi, I'm Peter. And she says, I'm so-and-so. So how you doing? Good. Everything okay? Yeah. And I was wanting to ask her, so how many months do you have? And I became aware that maybe that's not pregnancy. Maybe she's not pregnant at all. And I'm going to make, I'm going to ask the most stupidest question ever. And things started getting awkward. There was an incredible silence until her friend came and rescued her from me, which I was very thankful. Sometimes it's awkward. God has not called you to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. And we kept on coming to that place. And we kept on coming to the house. And we kept on sitting down with those teenagers until we were able to create relationships with them. And so we as a church, when we become nominative Christians, we become Christian atheists, what happens is we paralyze the mission and the heart of God. We don't understand what God does. And so in order for God to, to, because he loves his church, he loves his people, and he wants to bring them home, he wants them to come to the banquet. That's why he's inviting them in the first place. So what he does is what we see here. In verses 3, 8 to 10. 
And in verses 8 to 10, it reads the following way. It says, Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. And he says, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Notice the instructions. Go back to that verse 9 there. Notice the instructions. Go to the main highways, and I like that go therefore, right? That reminds me of, of Matthew 28, right? When he says, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore to the main highways, as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. As many as you find, invite them to the wedding feast. And verse 10 tells us, it says, those slaves went out into the streets and gathered. Verse 10. They went into the street and gathered together all, all they found, both evil and good. Notice, I want, I want to stop right there in verse 10. Notice what it says right here. It says, those slaves went out, those servants went out into the what? Into the streets and gathered together all they found. Everybody and anyone. And notice what surprises me is this phrase, both evil and good. How comfortable are you with that? Come on, talk to me. I'm asking you a question. You can talk to me. How comfortable are you with that? Huh? Because, because let's, let's be honest. Sometimes we, we have a stereotype mindset of who is the person who becomes a Christian and how that person must look. And how that person must dress. And how that person must eat. And how that person must behave. You see? But here, it tells me that's not my problem. It's not my problem how the church looks. That's God's problem. We don't define how the church is going to look. We don't define how the church is going to be and where the people are going to come. That is God's problem. We are called to be faithful and going out into the streets and gathering all we found, both evil and good, and bringing them in here. Are you with, I didn't hear an amen. I didn't hear amen. I'm not hearing amens today. Right, can you hear me, church? We cannot miss what's on the table. The lamb, the, the, the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God, he's the dinner at the table. And if you forget that, you don't understand what God is doing. They had problems with this. How is it when they saw Jesus sitting down with sinners and tax collectors, how is it that he sits down with tax collectors and sinners? How is it that he spends time with people who are unclean? They don't get what the kingdom values are. They don't get the spirit of God. They don't get how God moves. But this is the way that God cracks us. And I'll never forget, the church. I've been in so many churches where God has opened the doors of the churches and I brought people of all walks of life start coming into the church and the church people get very nervous. Really nervous. Hey, did you see this person? Hey, you see, we've been seeing a lot of these people in our church, Pastor. And I'm like, that's great. That's amazing that the Lord is bringing. Because you know what? Some, is there something... That, for some reason, the outcasts, the ones that are far in the, in the corners, the ones that people think are the ones that have a childlike faith and accept Jesus the best. And we who have walked with Jesus day by day, we have a hard time sitting at the table and enjoying that grace. 
We have a hard time at the table enjoying that we are children. Still today, some of you are trying to earn your salvation. If I do this, if I behave this, if I work on this, I can find Jesus. Maybe he will save me. But at the table, it's not like that. At the table, Jesus said, here's the table. Eat as much as you want. Enjoy. And you grab and you eat, and you eat and eat. By the way, I must have gained like two pounds this, this, this week. Because my wife, she did chili, and she does an amazing chili. And she left the chili open. And I asked her, hey, babe, um, is it okay to eat chili? She says, all you want. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I ate my first bowl, my second bowl, my third bowl, my fourth bowl. It was incredibly great. When she came back, she said, goodness, you almost ate it all. <laughs> and there was a discussion and a dialogue, and I was scolded. But you don't need to know that. It's a feast when we go at Jesus' table. And that's what we're missing here, you see. But here's the thing. There's this guy in verse 11. Notice what it says. It says, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man that was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. No wedding crashers allowed at the wedding table. I want to tell you something. There's the outsiders and there's the insiders. The insiders are those who have decided to follow Jesus and gave their life. Hopefully not nominative Christians, not atheist, Christian atheists. But then there's the end, the outsiders. There's so many unchurched and none people who are thirsting for God and don't know it. There's so many people that are trying to find a church community where they feel welcome and loved and cared for, where they can grow and struggle together with God in His grace. But they're outside, they're there, and we don't touch them because of, ex I don't know why we don't. But here's the thing. When you sit and you gather at the table... For some reason, those who sit and gather at the table intuitively, uh, I said that word wrong, intuitively, they know the dress code. You know why? Because it's not their dress code. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And when I show up at the wedding table with my own clothing, because I feel very legit and I feel good about it, Jesus is going to tell me, dude, I'm sorry. It's not fashionable. That's not the vibe of heaven. I'm sorry. You're out. And this is both for the insiders and outsiders because both the insiders and outsiders have one thing in common. They're missing Jesus. Your behavior, your good reputation your clothing, your life, your accomplishment, your successes. That's all fine and dandy. I'm great that you have allowed all that to happen in your life, but that will not get you into heaven. It's only the righteousness of Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus, you enjoy it only 
through his presence. It's coming to the table. On that surface, you encounter his presence, you find his face. And when you find God's face, there's a joy that's beyond word because you don't have to depend on nobody to give you value. You are valued in the presence of God because in the presence of God, you don't need to worry about if you're saved or not saved. You are in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, you don't have to worry about how, 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 to, how to erase the seven sins that I think are making my life worse. No, because you're in the presence of God, and he's going to show you more than those seven sins. And you're going to feel so horrible, so worse, but so loved. And he's going to transform you. And that's what you need to understand. And folks, it, outsider, let me talk to the outsider. Outsider folks, by the way. You're saying, well, I, I don't come to Jesus because I have to fix this and fix that. Dude. When you come to Jesus and you think that you have dealt with some sins and you say, okay, I'm going to give my life. I go into the baptistry and I get baptized and yay. But then the sins underneath the sins underneath the sins show up. And they interrupt. Dude, there's never a good time to give your life to Jesus. Just give your life to Jesus and let him take care of you. For the insiders, I want to let you know, you're always thinking, okay, how can I be more spiritual? How can I do these things to receive the Holy Spirit? How can I do this? How can I do this? There's never a good time. Just come into the presence of Jesus. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you find yourself filled with the Holy Spirit, the more you find yourself with a spirit of love and compassion towards those who are around you. I have told you over and over that I struggle with road rage. But I have found that God has been working something in my life because I've been praying for a lot of people on the road lately. I've been, I've been putting the brakes on. I've been letting people pass me, doing certain things. I'm like, what is going on with me? There is something that when we go into the presence of God and we sit at that table and we feast of his presence and we feast in the presence and we see his face, there's something that happens in our life that we cannot go back. We need to be transformed. And when we fail, it hurts. And it hurts really bad. Because we love our king. We love his son. And we want to be for him and forever. Don't forget the table. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Of course he can. He, can he, he did. And he brought it to us. And at the cross, at that wilderness, at the cross, he lifted up his son and he brought you the best meal ever. Welcome to the table. The place of gathering, healing, and resurrection.